In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the spring of my second year of seminary, the Seminary of the Southwest announced some changes to scheduling for the coming school year, so for my senior year. Some of those changes included some mandatory classes at night and class on Friday. Now, before you get too wrapped up in how um, upsetting that could be for you who work, you know, five days a week and have things going on, um, it might sound fussy to, to know that there was pushback, and yet in seminary there are lots of demands and compromises and sacrifices, and many classmates had young families and had spouses or partners who flexed their schedules and their work to work around the seminarians' schedules. So changes fell like dominoes, affecting more than just students. But it wasn't a simple situation. The seminary was blending curricula from the traditional daytime students with night and weekend students. Um, and so it created this puzzle requiring new math techniques um, that created lots of stress. I had a four-month-old baby at the time, plus a five-year-old, and some days I felt like I was barely making it. So in true Episcopalian form, these proposed changes were met by me and by others with frustration and surprise because this had not been the norm. This was a break from precedent and we didn't do it like this. And so after conversations among classmates, we chose to make an appeal to the administration of the seminary, writing a letter to the academic dean. I volunteered to be the editor and person who wove that letter together, taking the pieces from my classmates. And in that letter, we offered some criticism and maybe some constructive recommendations, but there was definitely a tone of dismay and judgment that we imparted. As I was the one who sent the letter, I also was the one who got a call from the academic dean to come meet in his office. It's okay, I can do hard things. Uh, <laughs> and what came from that was then a meeting with the entire rising senior class to talk with the dean and with another professor so that our concerns could be heard. But here was a, better, a, a bigger learning was that we got to hear a little bit more about how to respond in tough times so while it was wholly uncomfortable, I learned a really invaluable lesson that afternoon gathering in the classroom in the library. Jenna Minix is a professor at Seminary of the Southwest and a therapist. And so she talked with us about conflict. And when conflict arises, at the heart of the matter, there are two things at play. One is the question, can I trust you? Can I trust you? 
And the second is, do you love me? Can I trust you? Do you love me? Do you love and respect me? Can I trust you with my schedule and my life and my family and the sacrifices that we're making? And so I believe that these same tensions are at play leading up to the gospel reading today. So here's a little bit of the backstory. Peter and his disciples have been following Jesus. They've been competing with crowds, kids, Pharisees, and tough topics. The conversation shifts to salvation and what must be done to attain it. Peter asks, then who can be saved? And Jesus responds with an ever clear yet vague response to the question, saying, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Quite frankly, the disciples are worn down. They are in need of assurance, in need of affirmation, in need of encouragement. And so either Peter had less of a verbal filter than the other disciples, or the writer of Matthew wants Peter to appear impertinent and fussy. Because Peter says, look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? I hear Peter asking, I have sacrificed a lot to be here, Jesus. My friends have too. Can I trust you, Jesus? Is salvation really going to be extended to me? Can you give me something to cling to? Can you give me something to hope for? And Jesus gives some closure, assuring them that at the renewal of all things in this messianic age that is to come, they who had followed him will be with the Son of Man in glory. So he gives them that trust and assurance, and the kingdom of heaven is going to be a little different than what they expect, because Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. In the other synoptic gospels, Luke and Mark, we don't hear the familiar parable that comes next that speaks further about Jesus's point. And that parable that we just heard was the kingdom of heaven is conducted like a landowner seeking workers for the vineyard. The landowner goes out, settling on a fair day's salary with the hired help. And as the day, the day wears on, the landowner hires more and more people to come into the vineyard to work, saying, I will pay you whatever is right. So the landowner recruits people to help up until the very last hour of work for the day. The full daily wage is given to everyone who works on the property, even those who work one hour's time. So how does that go over? Well, muttering commences. That's how it goes over. Those 
actively working since sun up are given the stink eye to the newbies who barely break a sweat. And the landowner speaks up. The landowner confronts the tension around that flagrant display of generosity the landowner extended. We hear the landowner's words, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Hmm. Well, I have three interrelated points that I want to raise about this parable. The first is about that wage thing. So is it bothering to you that the wages distributed per person are not the same per hour? For example, like the person who works one hour of time has a huge hourly rate, right? But those who work for the whole day get paid a much smaller amount per hour. That math bothers me. That pushes my buttons a little bit. And that is why Jesus offers this parable to the disciples. Because Jesus doesn't offer things easily, right? Like Jesus likes to stir the pot. The point is all in the vineyard are worthy. Last or first, first or last, all have a place. And as they enjoy that place, they each enjoy an overflowing, ever full bucket of God's grace. Here's the next point. Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. And others have reiterated and retooled this phrase. But as such, Jesus is inviting us into this space through this parable to stop comparing our burdens of work and hardship. For when we compare, we will merely steal joy and it yields deepening divisions among us. And here's the third point. Whether in the kingdom of heaven, at that renewal of all things, or as we live within earthly principalities, comparing God's grace will render no difference or gain because the gift of salvation extended to you and to me and to all of us is the same for all. That grace looks just the same for you as it does for me, and that's what makes it amazing. So what about today? If you're even looking at the newspaper or the internet, you see much brokenness. Within our earth and within humankind, we have stories of climate change, earthquakes. A friend of mine was hospitalized in Southern California for an infection, alone, away from his family, and he put on Facebook in the middle of the night, oh my gosh, there's an earthquake happening and I'm all alone, right? Like, there are fires, there are earthquakes, Hurricane damage, power outages, human conflict and prejudice, disease and death, more than 200,000 deaths from COVID-19 alone this year in the United States, nearing a million worldwide. Job loss, underemployment, 
relationship stresses. Am I giving you an anxiety attack already? I mean, all these fears and financial insecurities are overwhelming. And that doesn't even begin to touch the political divisions. We even have this brokenness in how to respond to the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Should the vacant seat be filled before the election, after the election? Speaking of elections, campaigning in and of itself that's heating up in these next six weeks. At its heart, campaigning seeks to have voters choose a side. In this season of chaos and turmoil, it is easy to slip into a cycle of complaining and despair as we saw in the Israelites in our reading from Exodus. Many of us need assurance. We need affirmation. We need encouragement of God's care and saving grace. Friends, Holy Scripture and prayerful reflection can help. We hear that in the epistle today. The Apostle Paul cheered on the struggling church in Philippi to stay grounded in God's love and, what were those words? Stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side in those words, excuse me, side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Striving side by side. May you take heart in those words today, seeking unity through our common faith in the gospel. As we pray to God and work to remain knit together in our relationships, our oneness will hit snags and tensions. So when those conflicts come up, let's reflect on those questions of trust and love examining our relationships with God and others. Can I trust you? And maybe you reflect on how is trust diminished today? And where is it strong? And talk about it. And then do you love me? When have I wondered if I am loved? What affirms my feelings of love? It is in these deep, reflective moments where God's hope and grace shimmer. And friends, with God's help, there is a path forward together. Amen.